Attention MongoDB enthusiasts. We've got some exciting news for you. On June 22, 2023, MongoDB is bringing its world-renowned .local conference to New York City. This is an event you won't want to miss. At MongoDB.local New York City, you'll have the opportunity to learn about the latest updates and tools to build and deploy mission-critical applications at scale. Whether you're a seasoned developer or just getting started with MongoDB, there's something for everyone at this action-packed event. Get ready to experience an announcement-filled keynote. Dive into technical sessions on application development, data modeling, security, and much more. Plus, you'll have the chance to network with like-minded professionals and MongoDB experts. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to boost your MongoDB knowledge and skills. Save the date, June 22, 2023, in the heart of the Big Apple, New York City. For more information and to secure your spot, head on over to mdb.link 2023 or check out the show notes of this episode. Be sure to use the code PODCAST50 for a 50% discount on your tickets. See you there. Hi, everyone. My name is Sahir Azam, and I'm the Chief Product Officer at MongoDB. Welcome to the MongoDB Podcast. Database as a service offerings are the future of the database market. I mean, that's what we're seeing the majority of growth in the market. It's where, you know, we're starting to see, you know, traditional on-premises regulated enterprises move in earnest to the cloud at scale. And they're realizing that kind of lifting and shifting and operating your own database in the cloud, leveraging your own EC2 instances really makes no sense. And so they are looking at platforms like Atlas as the default. So I think. Welcome to the show. My name is Michael Lin, and I'm a developer advocate at MongoDB. Welcome to the Road to MongoDB Atlas. This is our mini-series created to celebrate the five-year anniversary of the launch of MongoDB Atlas, our database-as-a-service platform. In this series, my co-hosts Jesse Hall and Nick Raboy will talk with some of the people responsible for building and launching the platform that helped transform MongoDB as a company. In this episode four, we'll wrap up the series with a panel discussion and review some of our valued customer comments about the platform. Stay tuned. I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, Nick, welcome back. Uh, it's great to have you back on the show, uh, co-hosting once again. Nick, today we're wrapping the four-part series celebrating the five-year anniversary of MongoDB Atlas. To get us uh, to get us wrapped up, we're going to to bring back some of the guests. Kaylin Nelson, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And once again, Sahir Azam, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, so we're going to talk about uh, what we learned over the previous episodes, as well as what we learned in the previous five years of Atlas, and, and then maybe talk about what the next five years look like. You know, I thought it would be interesting if we if we kind of look at things through the lens of the customer. We've been interviewing customers about their experience with uh, with MongoDB and with MongoDB Atlas. And one of the first customers that we spoke with about his experience with MongoDB was Gaspard Petit. He is a an architect at one of our valued customers, Square Enix. And uh, he had some great things to say about MongoDB Atlas, but but also MongoDB in general. I thought it would be interesting if we just played a clip and uh, and, and got your reactions to that. Over time, what I realized is that MongoDB was perfect for our, our processes because there wasn't any columns predefined, any schema. 
we could just add fields. If the fields were missing, it wasn't a big deal. We could encode in the backend, we could just set them to default values. And why this is important is because the game team generally doesn't know, I don't want to see the game action, the designers or the producer, they don't know ahead of time what the final game will look like. This is something that evolves. You play, do a prototype of it. You like it, you don't like it. You undo something, you redo something, you go back to something you did previously, and it keeps changing as the game evolves. It's very rare that I've seen a game production go straight from point A to Z without twirling a little bit and going back and forth. So I'm curious, Kalen, as you hear that, as you hear Gaspar talk about his experience with MongoDB, you know, what comes to mind for me is that MongoDB from the very beginning was built with agility and, and flexibility in mind and really to help the developer become more efficient and effective. Um, maybe talk about your experience early on with MongoDB. What were you thinking about in terms of the, the most valuable features and, and what's uh, stuck out for you early on? Right. I'm going to answer that from the point of view of when my experience with MongoDB actually started, which was before I worked at MongoDB. So my previous company, I worked at a startup that used MongoDB as its backing data store. And certainly everything that Gaspar said about flexible schemas certainly resonates. It does make development a lot faster. But for me, back in the day, what really caught my attention was that the scaling story was built in. Um, so like most companies, most small startups, we stored all of our data in a single MongoDB replica set. And we knew that we couldn't scale the EC2 instances on which it lived uh, forever. But we had full confidence in our solution because we understood how sharding would work. We had a plan for using sharding when we needed to, but we had enough confidence that we were like, you know what, we don't need to take on this work at this moment in the evolution of our business. We know what the plan is going to be, and when we need it, we will get there. And the day did come when we did need to shard, and we went ahead and did it, and it all worked as expected. And that really, for me, you know, cemented the promise of MongoDB. So for me, I think that was like that was the real thing that really got me was just like the scaling story is there. I know how to go down that path. So moving from MongoDB in general and with scaling in mind, talking about why customers want to consider using a database as a service like MongoDB Atlas. Why customers choose MongoDB Atlas? We had a conversation with Jim McClarty. He's an architect at Keller Williams. They've got over 182,000 brokerage offices with many realtors serviced out of each of those locations. And they're a MongoDB Atlas user. I'd like to play a, a quick clip from Jim on why Keller Williams chose MongoDB Atlas. Yeah, I think it had to do with, did we want to manage our own Mongo instance, or did we want to let somebody else manage it? And all the choices we seem to make are, are based around, let's outsource that. You know, we'll have developers do the development work, but we'll let people who are experts in managing clusters and machines and networks do those things. And we do have those people in our company, but it lets us focus on the development that we need to be doing. So here, does that resonate with you? Is that something that you see in common with, uh, with customers choosing MongoDB Atlas? Yeah, I definitely think Jim's, um, you know, simple explanation there is at the heart of why now, you know, tens of thousands of customers have chosen Atlas. I think, you know, the promise of MongoDB being 
built with the developer needs in mind in terms of the flexible data model, the ability to scale as Kaelin mentioned is absolutely true. But at the same time, like any other system, if you would, would you rather be spending your time managing that system or leveraging it to differentiate your own company, to write your own innovative code? And I think that's at the heart of what Jim is getting at. And Kaelin, you mentioned that you worked with MongoDB prior. Um, was that an as-a-service business as well? Uh, it was a music startup. So yes, I suppose it was an as-a-service business. Uh, but we ran MongoDB ourselves, of course, because Atlas did not exist back then. And I guess I'll ask you the same question. Did did Jim's comment resonate with you? Is that is that what you're seeing in, in terms of why engineers choose MongoDB Atlas? Yeah, I think when you're deciding whether or not you want to move from running a piece of software yourself to using a service in the cloud, you have to figure out like what you are good at as a company and then evaluate whether some other, whether the service might be better than you at certain things. Um, you know, one of the things that most companies don't want to be specialists in is, for example, managing vulnerabilities in operating systems. It's very nice to be able to offboard that work to somebody who, you know, who specializes in that like we do. So I think that's how one should make the decision. Like, I guess, is this company going to be better at this than I am? Mm. I do think when you're moving from running something yourself to handing it off to somebody else to run as a service, you should spend the time to make a little checklist of what bugged you about running that software yourself, and then make sure you understand how those points that tripped you up are going to be handled in your new provider. So, you know, not everything is truly magic. <laughs> it's good to, <laughs> you know, understand what you're going to do um, when those same points might come and trip you up. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, so Caitlin, um, that, that is great advice. So we actually took several clips from Jim. And he actually gave some advice that he is recommending to customers or engineers that are just now starting their journey as well. Mike, do you want to go ahead and play that clip for us? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Uh, what I tell my team is you definitely need to go through the Mongo University class. You definitely need to do the Mongo 101 class. We want all of our developers to go through that and beyond. Uh, but we even want all of our QA team to go through that Mongo 101 class. In fact, our, our Scrum Master even went through it because she wanted to understand what we were talking about. So I feel like those would be really important. In this particular snippet, he's referring to our MongoDB University and and uh, possibly some other things as well in, in this clip. But do you have any kind of feedback or any kind of um, insight into how the university platform has has made an impact on on our engineers? I'm going to let here take that question. Sure. I think, um, you know, MongoDB, like any sort of, I guess, groundbreaking or new technology is different than the incumbent technologies we, you know, effectively replace, I guess. Um, and, you know, in, in the database space, the way, you know, kind of canonical way of doing things, you know, relational databases using SQL as the primary kind of query interface to that has been around for 40 years and is taught in most computer science programs worldwide. And so things like our documentation or MongoDB University are our ways of sort of educating the market on the way to use our technology, not just for you know the intuitive way to get started, but to use it for more advanced use cases, get more proficient over time. And so I think it's been a real kind of big part of our sort of bottoms up developer adoption globally that this knowledge and this information is available 
for free for developers everywhere to get started on uh, getting started with MongoDB. I think it is also worth noting just a fun fact that all MongoDB engineers start out uh, doing MongoDB University courses as well. Um, so we do have like a, a customized collection of lessons across various MongoDB University courses that are kind of packaged up as the MongoDB employee intro, but you know we use it to get our employees off the ground as well. So, so Jim made it a point uh, specifically to talk about MongoDB University when he could have talked about a lot of other things like Stack Overflow and and blogs and other items. Why do you think that the university platform is is just having this astronomical impact in comparison to those other other outlets uh, for for seeking help about Atlas? You know, I think the fact that it's available in a very easy to use way from the people who design the database, who know the best practices from the ground up, I think. And, you know, a lot of people get access to it just by finding mongodb.com. You go to mongodb.com because you might want to learn MongoDB, download it, try it for the first time. And you realize this like parallel sort of site right on the same, uh, you know, sort of property gives you access to all the knowledge and content and, and um, curriculum and all of that drives a lot of that adoption. So I think it's just a combination of the factors that it's highly visible, highly accessible, and comes from the people who designed the database. One minor point I would add to that is that, um, you know, MongoDB has been a really quickly evolving product over the last 12 years. And Stack Overflow, for example, can get a little bit frustrating for a product that is changing a lot because the answers get out of date. And of course, we go to a tremendous amount of effort to make sure that MongoDB University is describing the newest version of our product, and you're never going to get stale information. And crawling through stale information on Stack Overflow can be a bit frustrating sometimes. It's a great point. In the course of interviewing many customers, uh, Nick, Jesse, and I, we've learned that many of the customers are surprised at the breadth of the platform. There's just so many features that have been added. The core database itself has got some great features, the command line, the, the query language itself, the aggregation framework. But built into the MongoDB Atlas platform, we've added so much. There's the aggregation editor. There's, there's document viewing and editing. There's the whole performance management aspect. There's data lake. There's online archive. I could go on. But I was really shocked at the... the the lack of understanding of some of these features. And um, I think that's witnessed in this following clip from Jim once again. Some of the ones that are my favorites now. The Mongo charts was great. Of course, I would think, well, yeah, let's just put some data into Excel and build a chart and whatever, but you have to be an expert in too many things. And so having the ability to just pipe that in is great. I especially like the geolocation stuff built into that, being able to share with someone how many open houses are happening in a given state or how many new users do we have in a certain state. Those are, those are really great. Being able to compare multiple pieces and having different x-axes is nice to be able to see how many listings were viewed, how many new users were visiting. You know, those kinds of pieces are, are really interesting. So that, that was surprising that that would be a part of the database platform. You know, it, it feels like a real add-on. So I love that statement from, from Jim. So see here, I want to ask you, when you first started looking at plans and features that were going to be added into the product early on, did you have any idea what the platform would become? Does the platform today look anything like what you had planned initially? I think that's a, it's an interesting question, Mike. I think there, the mission was always to create the most sort of advanced or best 
database as a service across multiple clouds and you're really kind of making a multi-cloud sort of future. And I think in many ways, the vision from five years ago is very much the same exact thing we're executing on. Now, to your point, Atlas has added so many capabilities and features over the years. And I think some of them are very clearly like a set of customers that are really important or a high volume of customers ask for a particular thing. And it's like, wow, we really got to go just build exactly that. And other times a customer is expressing a pain point, but they're not so specific on how exactly we should solve it. So, you know, an example of something that's like real direct of something we needed to build is something like, you know, VPC peering. You know, we had a lot of customers early on that wanted private networking between their Amazon network that they run and the networks we run on their behalf. That was a very clear, like, enable that capability and it was pretty straightforward. But something that might have been a little bit more less obvious, you know, is something like online archive, where clearly we had heard from customers they wanted to try to lower their cost profile for certain classes of, you know, clusters where they were, you know, amassing mass piles of data. And we also observed customers that were sort of deleting data over a certain amount of time, like as it aged out. And when we talked to them, well, they were we realized many of them actually would love to keep that data accessible in the platform and not have to delete it. They were doing it just to save costs. So we you know, figured out a way to make that work with online archive, leveraging object storage and making it sort of seamless to make that tiering happen automatically and make that data available. And you know, I think every feature in the platform is somehow informed by some sort of pain point we see in the customer base, either explicit or implicit, or direct feedback on exactly what we need to build. And I think that's part of what you know powers the success we've had at MongoDB is we are very sort of customer centric and pay close attention to what we're hearing, whether it be you know, a small startup getting started on the platform or a large established enterprise. In a previous episode in this series, we actually asked Kaylin what her favorite feature was, and she had talked about being able to expire users from Atlas. So we're going to ask that same question to you, Sahir. What was your favorite feature in Atlas right now? My favorite feature in Atlas right now is actually the Data Explorer. And I'll tell you why. It's because our data science team was doing a study of which features happen to correlate to the customers that are happiest and use the most Atlas. And they found this unique sort of correlation that teams that visit the Data Explorer more than seven times are also (laughs) very happy users and sticky users on the platform. So for that reason, I choose the Data Explorer. Data Explorer is one of the most surprising features to me. Most of the time, I completely understand why Atlas customers are delighted by what they are delighted by. Occasionally, I am surprised and I have to like let go of my preconceived biases about how people use our product and develop software. So I am just fundamentally a very shell terminal oriented person. I just like the plain text. And I was like, why wouldn't you just connect via the Margo shell? Why do you need this fancy, beautiful UI? Who is going to use this? And I am surprised in a, in a wonderful way how popular it is because it just, it, it wasn't what, it isn't the way that I develop software or talk to my database again, but I'm so glad that, that our customers love it. So let's shift the focus to the future of Atlas and and talk a little bit about the roadmap. Um, So here, I guess before we go into the future and the roadmap specifically of Atlas, maybe talk a little bit about what you see in the future of the database market. Yeah, I think um, in many ways, 
database as a service offerings are the future of the database market. I mean, that's where we're seeing the majority of growth in the market. It's where, you know, we're starting to see, you know, traditional on-premises regulated enterprises move in earnest to the cloud at scale. And they're realizing that kind of lifting and shifting and operating your own database in the cloud, leveraging your own EC2 instances really makes no sense. And so they are looking at platforms like Atlas as the default. So I think, you know, in many ways, uh, that's what we're doubling down on. I think some other points to call out, I do think over time, you know, the idea that you have to think less about database infrastructure at all, and that you could just kind of consume the database similar to the way you can kind of consume functions in the compute world will increasingly start to become something we see. Uh, I think there is a real blurring of lines happening between operational or transactional databases and analytical databases. And so I think there's a bit of a convergence happening over the next call it three to five years that uh, I expect to see. So those are some of the high level trends as we look out and listen to our customer base and see the trends in the industry. Uh, where we think things are going. Um, so you said computational database and analytical database, correct? Operational. Operational. Can you can you maybe shed some light on what the two of those mean in case uh, the listeners haven't yeah, heard those phrases? Yeah, I, I think historically, I mean, there are many silos of different data technologies out there, but two of the most sort of classic sort of categories in the database space are transactional or operational databases. Think of these as really fast databases that are typically powering a live application. You know, they're running your mobile banking application. They're running a live real-time game, for example. And that's sort of one end of the database industry, so to speak. The other end is data warehousing. So think about, I want to collect a large volume of data from multiple applications, multiple sources. I want to store it for a long time. And I want to use it typically in a batch manner for reporting. I want to drive my Tableau reports, my you know, business reporting, and those are typically data warehousing technologies. And there's kind of various shades in between, but what we are seeing overall, though, as we move to the cloud, because of what's the underlying infrastructure flexibility that the cloud provides and just innovation in general and, and the way we build, the lines are blurring. I think we're going to start to see platforms that can handle both operational use cases as well as analytical use cases in the same technology, thus requiring customers less investment in multiple technologies, tools, and vendors to have to either purchase from or technologies to learn or you know, technologies to operate. What about consolidation? Yeah, I think that's... Uh... So, Kalen, maybe talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing to, to continue to increase and maintain the competitive advantage that we have delivering the platform as a service today. Right. So I think uh, my job as our product becomes richer and more complicated is to make the job of my engineers no more complicated or preferably less complicated. So we are, our product has grown. There are lots more services. They are much more interconnected. They need to communicate with each other in ever more complicated ways. And while we're trying to deliver value to our customers, we also need to make sure that we're reserving enough time to, this is not a good word, decomplexify our infrastructure. So we need to have a standard way to run things and a standard way for services to authenticate to each other and a standard way to define what kind of actions a user can take across all of our products. It's basically about sort of creating interfaces for how our products interconnect. And that's a stream of work that we are busily working on just as quickly as we are building user-facing features. 
And I do want to call out that uh, our biggest user conference of the year is literally a couple of weeks away. It's going to be July 13th and 14th. It's mongodb.live. Registration is still open. And there's going to be a great deal of talks specific to the technology, specific to some of the features we've touched on today. So head on over to mongodb.com slash live. Make sure you get registered and check out the agenda to find out what's in store in July. Okay, Lynn, see here. This was a great episode and a great kind of wrap to our series of episodes for the Atlas five-year anniversary. Is there anything before we go that you feel like we might have missed throughout the series that you really want to get in front of our listeners? Maybe starting with Sahir. Sure. Nothing more I want to add other than just, you know, I hope if you're using Atlas that you're having a great time with the product. As always, we would love to hear your feedback, good and bad. So please get it to us via the product or your support team. Um, we're all ears and it's just really humbling to sit here five years later and have a podcast about a product that at the time had a goofy project name and <laughs> we really had no idea at the scale it would uh, it would grow to, but we're very much looking forward to the next five years. And Kaylin. Yeah, I guess maybe to just continue a theme there a little bit. Although our product has grown exponentially and our team has grown quite a bit, there are still like very real people behind Atlas. And like we really do still like to hear from you and we really are here to help you. Um, so I guess you could think of us as a database, as a service that still honestly has a personal touch there. So don't be shy about reaching out to us. I love that. You can do that in so many ways. So here mentioned the feedback. There's a feedback system built right into the product, but there's also a rich set of forums and you can jump into the community and interact with the very same engineers that are working on the product. So you can visit developer.mongodb.com. Read all about these features that we've discussed. You can jump into the forums and, um, and have a conversation, ask questions. So strongly encourage you to do that. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Have a great day. If you want to learn more about MongoDB Atlas, visit mongodb.com slash atlas today to sign up for your free account to get started right away. Also, be sure to tune in to our biggest user conference of the year. We're streaming live on July 13th and 14th 2021. Registration is open for mongodb.live. This is a free virtual streaming event that will feature a solid lineup of cutting-edge keynotes, dozens of breakout sessions, live Ask Me Anything panels, brain break activities, and so much more. Head on over to mongodb.com live to register and to get updates for what's in store in July.
Thank you. Attention MongoDB enthusiasts. We've got some exciting news for you. On June 22, 2023, MongoDB is bringing its world-renowned .local conference to New York City. This is an event you won't want to miss. At MongoDB.local New York City, you'll have the opportunity to learn about the latest updates and tools to build and deploy mission-critical applications at scale. Whether you're a seasoned developer or just getting started with MongoDB, there's something for everyone at this action-packed event. Get ready to experience an announcement-filled keynote. Dive into technical sessions on application development, data modeling, security, and much more. Plus, you'll have the chance to network with like-minded professionals and MongoDB experts. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to boost your MongoDB knowledge and skills. Save the date, June 22, 2023, in the heart of the Big Apple, New York City. For more information and to secure your spot, head on over to mdb.link 2023 or check out the show notes of this episode. Be sure to use the code PODCAST50 for a 50% discount on your tickets. See you there.